I think make some really uh, bad decisions when you're, especially when you're thinking about barter. If you're not, uh, you're not in the right headspace, and um, if your cash position isn't really strong, uh, you can barter your way to bankruptcy. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales, marketing, and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which helps accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. And today, I have a special episode. The episodes to date really have been me interviewing one other person or doing a solo cast, but I'm down here in New Orleans with an amazing group of entrepreneurs who I happen to have the pleasure to get together with quarterly in various cities. And there are uh, five guests on our roundtable today, all past presidents of entrepreneurs' organization chapters up and down the East Coast, who all have different businesses and different experiences with with different types of deals. So I wanted to take advantage of this opportunity, despite the fact that we're not in the podcast studio and don't have ideal audio, because of the wisdom we have in this room. So I'm going to invite each of them to go around and introduce themselves, uh, and they'll give you their name and their current company. And then uh, I also want them to say, because I'm sure for most of them, whatever they're doing now was something that maybe or maybe not they envisioned as doing as a little kid. So what I want to hear is their name, their company, and what they wanted to be growing up as a little kid. PJ. Oh. Vijay Katlani from J2 Solutions. I am a partner in that firm, and we do IT staffing and IT projects. And what I wanted to do as a kid, probably be a doctor or a fireman, and that's not what I'm doing now. Love it. Judy. Judy Briggs from Boston. I own a local 1-800-GUT-JUNK franchise. We take your junk away. You point, and we do the rest. Um, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a pediatrician. All right. Another potential doctor out there, lost to the world. Chuck. Uh, Chuck Morris with Morris Creative Group in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we're a marketing agency. Uh, growing up, I primarily wanted to be a vet, but uh, I also wanted to be an architect, uh, pediatrician, uh, and a truck driver. <laughs> I love the, the uh, variety. And Scott? I'm Scott Walton. I have the company Walton Financial. And as a kid, I saw myself a lot like my dad being a medical doctor, uh, making rounds with him. And uh, inherited bedside manner as a result of that. He'd say, your children take the hobbies of their parents and turn them into careers. And I became the businessman. I love it. So, so there are four people, at least one of the potential things that were going to be were a doctor. So Jane Boland. So I'm Jane Boland. I'm from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I own Peyton Boland and Janelle Title, both real estate law firm and a real estate title company. And what I wanted to be as a kid was very clear. At the age of two and a half, about three, I told my mom I wanted to be the president of the United States. Oh, and for those who know Jane, uh, let's just say that dream hasn't disappeared. No, it has not. (laughs) I love it. 
So listen, we're going to have a great opportunity today because all of these phenomenal entrepreneurs not only have created amazing businesses, but they have also been involved in various different types of deals from business partnerships to franchises to acquisitions of other companies to uh, border deals on, uh, on um, uh, services for equity. So, you know, what I love about this in particular is one of the things I always say on the podcast is that there's all types of deals that people can do. And there are ones, you, you know, that are bigger, that are smaller. There are ones you might have heard of that you didn't hear of. So I really love the variety here. So uh, I want to start with, um, let's start with uh, VJ. Let's go in the same direction and then we'll come back around. So, so VJ, one of the things that you, I know, you know, have done is, is entered into a business partnership that you've had for a number of years and the twist on it which is something that a lot of you know people deal with or are considering whether they should do, is that you're in business with a family member. Yep. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how that business partnership works, who that family member is, and what the benefits and, and risks and detriments are of that kind of deal? Yeah. So the other partner in my firm in J2 Solutions is my younger brother, Sanjay. Um, the, the good part is we're family and we care about each other and care about the success of the company and each other. The bad thing is we're family. And it sometimes gets in the way of getting things done. Um, but the way we work around that is we all we each have our responsibilities in the firm and tend to stay in our lane. So Sanjay runs sales and recruiting. I run operations and marketing. And we stay to those lanes. Um, so if one of us wants to do something, we, of course, talk about it and discuss it. And the third vote is the person that owns that function. But the, back, the flip side of that is also if you own that function and you screw it up or it gets screwed up, it's your job to fix it. That's great. And you had, you had a recent uh, example that you talked about. You want to you share that? We, we did. Um, my brother um, called the meeting on a decision that he thought he was going to make on an operational issue. And I called him up and told him to stay out of my lane. And he immediately apologized and agreed and canceled the meeting. <laughs> and it was a really dumb thing. It wasn't like it was strategic or anything that controversial, but he shouldn't have been making a decision because he didn't know that I'd already gone down that path and discussed the positives and the negatives and whether or not it made sense to do it or not. That's right. And he respected that, which Absolutely. is great. Which is great. You know, I, I deal with a lot of, lot of family businesses in, in, my, in my legal practice. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been, frankly, devastated and amazed at how, how many times things devolve into horrible situations. I mean, I've seen fathers and sons suing each other, siblings, you know, fighting over stuff. Um, but at the same time, if you can make it work, you know, there are very huge benefits. Yep. Yeah, it's great. All right, we're going to swing back to that. I want to sort of hit, you know, each of the topics at a higher level, and then we'll, we'll sort of open it up uh, a little more. So, um, Judy, uh, franchising, right? That's, that's something that um, is another kind of deal that businesses can do uh, as an opportunity to be a franchisee. Uh, frankly, there are some businesses out there that might even become franchisors. Um, but you've done uh, a couple of franchisee deals uh, being a franchisee. Talk to me a little bit at a high level about what the advantages of being a franchisee are and what some of the challenges are. Um, well, I've seen in the last 16 years, one of the biggest benefits has been, you know, obviously being a part of our franchise, everything is done for you. So it was my responsibility when I got into the business was to spend money on marketing and haul junk. And it's been great, you know, over time especially in the Boston market. One of the other advantages is that there's a group of us. And so together we com you know, combine our funds and we have larger marketing spends and we can outmarket our largest competitor just in the Boston market alone. 
let me let me let me just point out something that she mentioned here uh, because one she's talking about being in a franchise, but she also talked about something that franchise uh, franchisees often do in a franchise model, but it's not limited to that model, which is they get together in basically a co-op marketing arrangement where they market together for the benefit of everybody. And that's the kind of deal that you can do even if you're not a member of a franchise. Exactly. Um, so we, we you know, share the, the market. Um, there's six of us. And, you know, this particular year coming up, uh, we've got a million-dollar radio, uh, TV, sorry, TV ad, which, like I said, our next biggest competitor cannot even, they can't afford like one month spend. So it really works out great. Great and and what a, at a high level. Uh, so some of the advantages are in a franchise that you know a lot of things are taken care of for you. You can focus. They have a system, etc. The good ones have a brand that's valuable. Maybe they're doing you know they're doing some promotion for you. What about on the negative side? Where can franchise uh, e uh, deals go wrong? Um, there's always opportunity for things to go wrong. Fortunately, you know I'm part of a great franchise, but one limiting limiting factor is that you know they do all the marketing from like a social media on the brand itself the bigger brand versus the individual local markets so we really are limited with what we have input into the social media that's localized um so it's great the other thing i'll say that i've seen you know with other uh franchisees is that you know not every franchisor is great um, you know, the ones that are really good and build and they continue to grow the franchise and they put money behind it are great. But in some cases, uh, you know, for, for others, that's not true for you know, Judy with her internet got junk franchise because they're a good franchisor. But, um, but with other people, uh, you know, there are, there, there are franchises that don't work out or bad franchisees, difficult people to deal with or where they're not upholding their end of the bargain. So like any other deal, you need to do your due diligence. You need to have good contracts and, you know, you need to, uh, watch out for uh, you know the ones that are that are not great. Mm-hmm. Good. So uh, Chuck, you've done this is really interesting because I love some of the things that you've done uh, here. In that um, you know you're in a, a services business like a lot of us, uh, and uh, you know you provide uh, services normally for a fee, uh, but you've done something where uh, you have sometimes uh, either. Uh, not taking cash or discounted cash. I'd like to hear, I don't know which it is, uh, in exchange for another type of payment. So tell us about that. Yeah. Well, um, I've got a friend who uh, came to me and said, uh, I, need a, I need a marketing plan. I need some strategy. I'm a startup. Uh, it's a high technology company. Uh, obviously, he uh, didn't have a lot of uh, capital to, to get the, the ball rolling. So he said, you know, would you, uh, consider taking stock uh, as a form of payment, uh, have some equity in the company, and, um, and we'll pay some cash. As cash comes in, we'll have you know some money to pay for some expenses, but would you will be willing to do your services side on uh, on this sort of barter trade for stock? And uh, I'd never done it before. Um, I happen to believe in the business idea and the, the technology involved. I think it's going to be um, a very, very valuable company at some point. They're planning on doing an IPO uh, here in 2019. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a gamble. You know, you, you uh, take a chance on something you believe in. I happen actually also to believe in my friend and his ability to execute the idea. Um, the upside is, uh, you know, I could, I could uh, make out like a bandit uh, on the stock if it goes where we think it's going to go. Uh, 
the downside, of course, is that you're tying up uh, resources inside your firm that actually cost you some money. So you got to kind of weigh that out. You know, is it uh, is it worth it uh, to you in the in the short and the long term? And one of the things I've seen uh, people do in this particular type of deal is, uh, you know, and again, Chuck had a specific, specific situation with somebody he trusted and knew well. Um, uh, so he made the decision to do that. And, and frankly, what I always think of those is you should make that decision like an investment decision, yeah. right? Because you should do the same due diligence you would do if you were putting in money. So, you know, I'm picking an example is not necessarily Chuck's number, but if you were trading off 50000 or 20000 or $100,000 in fees, it's the same thing as making that kind of cash investment. You know, maybe you discount it a little bit because your costs are not, you know, are only a percentage of that. But still, whatever whatever that amount is, uh, it's an investment decision. What I see some people do is a hybrid where they, you know, if their margins are 40% and they need 60% to cover their overhead, they may discount their fees by 40%, make sure the overheads, you know, and the cost of the job's covered, but but basically turn their profit into the equity piece. Of it. Right. That's another approach. The way we did this deal is it was just basically retail for retail. You know, he, yeah. he sold me stock at uh, prevailing price. And I said, here's what the services would cost you in cash. Great. Great. So, you know, that, that, that's an interesting deal to look at. And uh, and I've uh, I've very often been asked to do this. And frankly, I'm very careful uh, on when I do it uh, because, you know, you got to believe, you know, you're betting on the upside. And so you got to believe that that's that's a real possibility. Um, but I've seen some people do very, very well in these kind of deals. And the time horizon is important too. You know, you if you're kind of stringing things up over a long period of time, that's that's more difficult than if you think the payoff is going to be relatively quick. That's a great point. All right, Scott Walton. So, Scott, you are uh, a phenomenal uh, financial advisor, and you have over time grown your business organically, right, by providing great services for people, getting referrals, all those kind of ways that us professionals do it. But you've also grown your business another way. Um, so talk to us about that. So I've been in my career field for half my life and did a lot of due diligence um, early-ish on in my career about what it would take for me to start my own business, hold my own name out there. Um, and and uh, I, so in my due diligence, uh, I took a, a long list to narrow it quickly and found uh, the way that I could uh, work with my clients uh, best being an independent uh, financial planner. Um, it's a highly competitive industry. And then once I made that leap to start my own firm, um, one thing that I, I did was help other people find their happiness uh, in, in the industry. Uh, it was heavily weighted towards big national firms. Um, but in, in the many people that I've mentored uh, to, to find their own ways in, in our industry, um, there were two in particular that uh, I had. That was the other side of their succession agreement. Uh, one gentleman, um, when he retired, we saw it was just very classic. Uh, um, see each other's clients together, and he faded out in the sunset. That was about a seven-year deal. Um, so he retired. Uh, he took his own medicine and financial planning. Um, and, and the the other gentleman uh, died on the golf course. Uh, I was his successor, so the uh, that tripped the, the succession agreement. Um, they were two very different deals as far as money up front, uh, payouts, 
the percentage of revenue going uh, to me or, or the widow in, in one case and, and the advisor uh, in the other case. Uh, so so each, each was, was very specific and different. Um, what I learned was, though, that we're really good at taking over other financial planning practices, but it's based on uh, helping other people in our industry find their own happiness. And um, uh, two situations came back uh, to, to help our overall uh, independent practice. And that, you know, that's helped you grow. And it's interesting because uh, Scott talked about being succession deals and those opportunities are available in all types of industries, right? You know, basically if somebody is, uh, wants a solution to when they retire, die, become permanently disabled, things like that, you could be that potential solution. Uh, and then of course you can, you can even do acquisitions before that. It, you know, that's a different type of deal. But, uh, uh, so acquiring a practice in his industry, uh, it's similar either way, except of course there's some things that come into play when it's in the situation where somebody dies, for example. Um, so that's great. And we're going to, we're going to come back around and start talking about some of these deal structures a little bit and some of the other things, but let's, uh, let's get over to Jane Boland here. My, uh, my fellow attorney friend and, uh, title company owner and, uh, uh, politician. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so talk to me about some of the, some of the, I mean, you're in a business partnership um, in two different businesses, right? Uh, so talk to me a little bit about that or other types of, you know, what kind of deals you've done. Yeah. So I'm in first with my partnerships, law firms are traditionally structured, as you know, Corey, with a partnership model. Um, and I've always looked at it just from the eyes of being an entrepreneur. So the partnerships that I'm in, um, it, I originally started my law firm with Maury Payton. We met and it was an investment in each other. I, I jokingly call both of my partners my two husbands, um, and they are both individually married, um, and their wives are fine with that. And you know, we brought in a third partner, Joe Janelle, and that, that was a decision about two years into our practice where we really were looking for what we were missing, you know, what was missing, but, you know, we have certain strengths. I think that's always the case. Um, and really getting clear about what you're good at and what, what you need in the partnership. So we brought Joe in, I will call it the deal of a lifetime. Um, you know, we didn't seek the normal equity. We brought him in for who he was and we gambled on that and we won because Joe is also my partner at Janelle title, hence the name of it. Um, and we've worked very well together inside of, um, deals, I would say to you, the title company, very interesting. You know, there is the organic growth of that. You know, that's the relationships we build, et cetera. But we did make a decision very early on um, to service a very large investor in Florida. So we're actually in-house there. And um, at first look, from any entrepreneur's point of view, that's all of your eggs proverbially in one basket, which is not where you want it to be. Um, at the same time, that provided a lot of foundation for us. We were able to meet that entrepreneur's needs, you know, essentially having in-house title and be able to grow our, our company organically at the same time. So makes makes a whole lot of sense for us to do it that way. And that 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 really, I mean, in the beginning it seemed not like a good idea, but it really has been and really the foundation of our title company. It's interesting. I, I remember doing a, a course, I'm almost sure it was one of Farbecker's uh courses. Uh where uh, he said uh, that at least, you know, there's always this thing about not having all your eggs in one business, basket and diversifying your client base. And I think over time that makes sense. But he talked about, and I remember them giving some examples in this seminar about how many companies really started about one thing. Like, and, and there's something about a value of focus in the beginning before you expand. And the, the analogy that they drew was, 
no, it's okay, at least in the beginning, to have all your eggs in one basket. Just take really good care of that basket. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drop the basket. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to open it up because, uh, like, there's some structuring tips and do's and don'ts and uh, lessons we've learned and the various types of people of deals people have done. And instead of just going around, you know, again, uh, why don't I, why don't I just uh, why don't I just open it up? Um, whoever wants to jump in. I just spoke, but I just want to jump in. So I'm going to do it. So inside of partnership, I think something I would want to share is, you know, looking at a partnership, it's a decision you make, you start to run your businesses, but that partnership is its own relationship and it requires alignment and it requires communication. And it needs to be both inside the business and inside of what is the partnership. And I think that's something my partners and I have done very, very well. Um, Just like I meet with you guys quarterly, I'm now meeting with my partners quarterly so it's not just business planning. It's also, you know, we're looking at all of it and we're also looking at our own relationships because business and personal, you know, they overlap. It's not, there is no work and then life. This is your life and you run some businesses. So um, I think that's really important that people get that point of view, um, that context for holding a partnership. So that's what I want to share right after that. And, and just, I, I want you to drill in a little bit because so many people in business in general, whether they're solo or in partnerships, just have their head down, they're grinding, they're just getting the work done. And the idea of leaving the office for any period of time, right, right, is just totally not. But you guys take conscious time and do retreats together, do planning together. Why don't you talk about a little bit about that and the, and the benefit of it? Yeah, so I think um, one of the things we, we did find, we tried to do retreats in-house at the office, even on a Saturday. And the reality is, is that environment, it's all the same. <laughs> the phone's just not ringing on a Saturday. And you lack the ability to tap into some natural creativity. So getting outside of your environment and going to other places, really being motivated by things you would that would surprise you, you know? the way the streetcars work or the environment or it, we laugh, the golf course. But you really do, you have the opportunity to be much more creative in that space. And whatever's there, you know, whatever's looming in the background that you're trying to work through, payroll, um, you know, funding, whatever it is, you just, you get more freedom when you take yourself out of the environment. And so as you guys know, I'm with you for I mean, eight trips a year. I take that are from the outside. Someone can say, oh, she's just taking a bunch of trips. No. I'm taking those trips very deliberately to give myself a creative space to look at what's happening, to really drill into it um, with some freedom. And I always come back a better person. I always come back with something to provide. And it's very, very useful. Awesome. All right. Other thoughts? Who wants to jump in? Um, I think something important about acquisitions and, and growing in the way that we have is the multiple in, in our particular industry. Uh, the, the two deals that we did, they were really different and the multiple was very different. Uh, so in our industry, there, there's a lot of uh, play or leeway into what the value of a practice is based on its, its profitability. Uh, the, the, the first acquisition uh, commanded a multiple about two and a half times gross revenue. The, the, the gentleman had narrowed his practice down to 70 households um, all highly profitable people that he uh, had, had been through his career with, um, and and uh, there was a deep trust involved. And and again, we took seven years to to go through that. They they knew me, and in fact, the the, the clients were kind of nudging him out and preferring me at the time that he did. Uh, once once um, so there was a loan involved. 
uh, there was some upfront money for him, and then the, the payout, the revenue based on uh, the, the, the ongoing revenue from the practice, uh, I got 53% of the ongoing revenue, and he got 47%. Uh, and that was just his respecting me since I was the one running, uh, run, running the day-to-day at that point. Um, the other practice was very different. That we, even though the gentleman had a succession plan in place, uh, the multiple was was much less. It was close to about one and a half times uh, ongoing revenue. The, the practice was a mess. Uh, it, it was the hodgepodge of um, uh, really a whole generation worth of changes in the financial planning industry, from stock broking to insurances. Uh, and and um, that, that's been one of the, the challenges recently uh, over the last couple of years is to, to really clean up that practice. It's been very laborious. Um, I, uh, so there's, instead of a, a large upfront check, the, the widow chose uh, incremental payments uh, at the end, of, the end of a calendar year for a five-year period of time. I'm, I'm getting 75% of, of that ongoing revenue where she's getting 25%. Um, so I didn't need to go to an outside source outside the industry to, to loan that money, uh, which was different from the first. I had to find a, a firm specialized uh, in, in coming up with chunks of, of, of money that a traditional bank uh, wouldn't normally be able to or know how to supply. Yeah, so there's some interesting things that Scott raised in that, right? He talked about a little bit, you know, about deal structuring uh, in terms of how how much money up front and how what's paid over time. He, he uh, uh, mentioned uh, valuation multiples, and in every industry, valuation multiples are different. And we've had, we'll have some people on on the show that are specific valuation experts, and they'll talk about things like EBITDA and EBOC multiples and revenue multiples and discounted cash flow. Uh, so, you know, one of the things is, you know, in doing a deal like that is you're figuring out valuation. And then, you know, as what I really like about what Scott talked about, especially in the cases where you're doing a succession, it's people, you know, you know, you're going to you're going to tailor that deal to the needs of both. Obviously, you, you need to take into account the worth of the practice and you don't want to overpay, but you're also going to tailor that in a way that works for the estate or the person, uh, depending upon how that comes about. And in smaller deals, uh, you know, and I'm talking about you know, hundreds, tens of hundreds of millions. You know, they're they're often more customized. You know, in bigger deals, sometimes it's just the way they're done. But in smaller deals, it's just figuring out what works for both parties. It's great. Who else? Just a footnote on the barter uh, deal we did. I it, you have to be careful with that. You have to be in the right. Uh, one of the things we talked on, uh, about on the retreat here is kind of being in the right headspace. Um, I think make some really uh, bad decisions when you're, especially when you're thinking about barter. If you're not uh, you're not in the right headspace, and um, if your cash position isn't really strong, uh, you can barter your way to bankruptcy, basically. <laughs> um, but if if you can uh, uh, tolerate the risk uh, for a period of time, there's a there's a really huge upside uh, on that. That's great, and I, and I like that warning. You know, you can barter your way to bankruptcy. I mean, you know, there there are so many companies that aren't even clear on them what their margins are and you know, what their financials are, et cetera. And, you know, it's sort of what I alluded to before. Um, you know, this should be a conscious investment decision uh, that, you, that you're making because right. uh, yep. you are giving up cash flow and you come. That's right. That's great. I want to circle back to what something James said earlier about um, retreats and communications with partners. Um, Sanjay and I do a lunch every two weeks um, and, and catch up on stuff. I mean, we see each other every day. We talk every day in the office, but we allow space every two weeks for, 
conversation about the business. Um, when we do annual retreats, um, when we first started doing them, we did them in the office. And what we found was people, even though the doors were closed, the conference room, people just kept coming in. Um, so we made a conscious effort to not be in the office when we did those because we didn't want to be bothered in the sense that we didn't want to be disturbed. Bother is the wrong word. We didn't want to be disturbed um, when we did that. In the first couple of years that we did that, we went across the street to a friend's office just sit it there. And now we do an overnight retreat somewhere local where it's just us locked up the room and doing that stuff. So communication is very important. Great. And to tag team on what VJ just said, you know, being part of a franchise, you know, it's great because we've got the brand and things like that. But yearly we have an annual conference and, you know, to tie into like a retreat, we go there once a year, meet with all the 144 other franchise partners and we share our ideas. Not every market is the same. However, we go through the same things day in and day out. So we, it's a brilliant way to share all your successes and ideas with one another. And, you know, it's one of the things that has helped me be successful over the last several years. So. And that's another one, you know, it's interesting with the franchise model, because as I said before, where you could sort of pull out the co-op advertising that franchise is often do. And even if you're not a franchise, potentially do that. This is another uh, situation where you can do it. I'm amazed at how many companies do not actually reach out to quote unquote competitors. They think everybody's a competitor. But the truth is, if somebody's, depending upon what type of business you're in, it's possible if somebody's in a different geography, they're really not a competitor of yours, right? You know, uh, and so I've seen uh, companies and, you know, uh, we're all uh, have been in the past or are uh, members of entrepreneurs organization. And that's a great organization where you can connect with other people. But I know people have just called competitors and said, hey, let's get together. Uh, because, uh, you know, certainly, first of all, if you come from a place of abundance and, and, and don't think that, uh, you know, there's not enough for everybody, you're more likely to do that. But let's say even if you're a little worried, there are people in other markets that aren't really competitors. They just happen to do the same thing you do. And you could really, uh, you know, do some uh, uh, retreats and things with them. And frankly, potentially strategic alliances. Uh, I mean, you know, we, 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 we've got, um, we're going to have Damon Gersh, uh on the show a little uh, a little later, and one of the things he did in his industry was put together an industry association, where they all support each other to uh, to help grow their businesses, and it's been significant. So look out for that episode as well. That's an important point about uh, just reaching out to other people. Um, being an entrepreneur, especially a solopreneur, it's not it doesn't have partners. You can you can do what I call breathing your own air, where you're just uh, it's kind of inside your head and you're not getting any outside inputs uh, that help you make better decisions. And so to have an accountability group, to have other entrepreneurs to, uh, to help you be a better entrepreneur and uh, to give you a bit of a gut check on some of the things you're thinking, feeling, doing in your company, uh, that's really important. Peer group. That's great. So uh, let's just uh, spend a few more minutes if anybody has any particular tips or burning things that people should know about the types of deals that you do. Uh, and then I'll close it out with a final uh, with a final question for everybody. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I did say to your point about looking at the world with abundance. Um, there, there's in our our field, there, the demographic is such that there are going to be a lot of practices for sale. Um, it, it always makes me sad when people look at the world as as hyper competitive. Uh, that's something that gets into their head. Uh, that, that, that they can control differently or look at differently. Um, my, my, my philosophy is that when you uh, look at the world as an opportunity, 
to, to grow and to help uh, good, good things come back. Um, and, and so in a, in a field that's frankly aging out where we need people to help people, um, I, I, I can't help but think that there'll be more opportunities in the future as a result of uh, just that frame of mind. It's great. Great. Any other tips before we roll around? All right. Awesome. So um, the last question I want to ask people about, because anybody who's followed any of my content or uh, work understands that authenticity is a hugely uh, important thing for me. And authenticity for me is not just about integrity, but it's really about being aligned to what's true for you. So when you're thinking about doing deals of any type, uh, how do you, and you know, this is true for any business decision, but since we're talking about deals, I want, I want to do it in there. When you make a decision to join a franchise, right? Or, you know, to be in a business partnership or to do a, uh, you know, an equity deal, whatever it is, an acquisition. Um, what do you do to make sure that that business decision is coming from an authentic place? All right. I mean, Chuck, for example, uh, so many people, I, I think yours is the easiest to, 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 look at uh, where people can get off because I've seen so many people get drawn in by the potential upside of that new startup and get, do equity deals and they don't work out, right? Because their ego or their excitement or their greed or, or you know, whatever, like there's something they get emotionally attached to and they make bad business decisions. So I'd love to know how what you do to make sure it's authentic and lines up for you when you make these business decisions. Well, mine was really easy because I, my friend Rod and I've been, I've known him over 20 years and um, he's a brilliant engineer. Um, and I just, I, I just had a heart of wanting to help. Uh, he came to me and said, I've got these marketing and public relations things that I know nothing about uh, any of those areas. And I know I'm going to need that stuff. And um, you're, you're the guy I trust to, to do it. And I said, Rod, I'm, I'll, I'll help you, you know, in any way I can for as long as I can for free. And then we'll talk about, whatever we need to talk about at some other, some other point. And that's when he came back to me and said, you know, what, how do you, what do you think about working for some equity for some, for some stock? So it's really his idea, but I came to it from a, um, just a really a pure heart of wanting to help my friend. And, and that sometimes, you know, those things are hard, you know, you, you're, uh, you can uh, build up some resentment. I think sometimes where you feel like you're being taken advantage of by the friendship. I never felt that with Rod, but um, you know, you have to watch out for those things. And I think that's where you have to be really transparent with each other about, Hey, you know, this is getting to be a little bit more than a favor. We need to kind of have a candid conversation about long-term. How does this look? Yes. My guess is you've been approached by other people to take equity for deals and maybe you turned it down. Am I right? I have. Yeah. So, uh, so, a lot so of, a lot what of has been there that didn't align for you? You know, um, a lot of times it's just gut, you know, it's just like there's some kind of energy that, uh, that person or group was giving off and you, you just want to run away. <laughs> uh, some of it had to do with the idea, you know, you think, uh, it just, I, it doesn't resonate with you. So anytime I've, date, I've done a barter deal like that, I, I had to believe in the product or service myself uh, to the point where I could go sell it uh, without uh, my friend. You know, That's a huge distinction, right? It's not just the, the opportunity, the upside of the money, but if you didn't believe in the product, even if you thought it might hit, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, those deals are out there all day, every day. Right. You, know, you can go work for free uh, for equity with any 
Tom, Dick, or Harry who's you know hung on a shingle. You know, there's lots of people that need uh, marketing help, and they'd love to have marketing help for for free or deferred payment. Um, but yeah, I I feel like I've got to believe in the in the company that I'm working with. Otherwise, everything feels really shallow and um, it's not very fulfilling. It's great, Scott. Um, I, I think in our corporate culture, p- people know our authenticity the, the minute they walk through the door. Um, my wife is also in the practice, so we, we have a family business too. And I was ha- having come from big, fancy Wall Street firms where they're on uh, tall towers, uh, class A commercial space with very little soul, frankly. Um, we were really intentional in the design of our the feeling of our office. It feels like a living room. There's a fireplace. There are oriental rugs. We sometimes have the dog there. The greeting is is always special. Um, the the uh, in, in fact, everything down to uh, the the runner rug as they come in is red. So they're walking across red carpet. When they walk out, it's the lighter tint uh, symbolizing uh, an enlightenment or some type of, of uh, positive uh, light has occurred or connectedness. So people have to feel uh, comfortable sharing the deepest darkest most important hope streams and fears that's that's what we're going for in our our culture uh, we offer uh, tea uh, um, any coffee french pressed uh, we want people to feel uh, our authenticity uh, from the moment they enter our door um, and and as a result uh, just even looking around our office they, they know it's different they know we're different um, so it's really uh, common for people that, uh, whether they're uh, friends, clients, uh, family, people walking off the street, when, when they come in and then leave, uh, comments are, are very uh, complimentary. And I, I've never seen an office like this. In fact, we have people that just drop by to show how different it, it can be in our industry. So I think it's it's a place that, I spend most of my time uh, that I look at it that way. Um, if I'm going to spend a lot of my life here, it's got to feed uh, feed everybody in the space, and I've got to be able to do it for a long period of time. It was actually the first uh, our building is the first commercial building in the state of Alabama that applied for uh, lead certification through the U.S. Green Building Council. Um, and, and so we ran a matrix. I mean, this is how authentic it was. Did it make sense economically in the build? Uh, did it make sense socially? Did it make sense environmentally? And if you're in long-term financial planning for generations, think about economics, social, uh, and environment. Um, it would be inauthentic to, to not have those paramount up front uh, and, and recognizable in, in uh, our culture. That's awesome, Scott. So, Jane, I know you and I talk a lot about authenticity. We've done some of the same type of personal business growth work that uh, that, that has a big basis in it. And I know, uh, you know, specifically uh, in terms of bringing it to your business partnership and dealing with the, those deals, I'd be interested in, you know, you talking about obviously not any specific conversations with your partners, but how the concept of authenticity has uh, played into the business partnership. Yeah, so I think, and we, we have a lot, of, a lot of the same work, um, but I do think, you know, the place where I start and what I create for my partners is we create it all. So there's no opportunities that fall in our laps. Everything is created. So if we're creating it, 
then we can start to see. And and look, do do people randomly call the blue with something? Sure. But you've got to look at what, why did we create it that way? If it didn't show up in a very deliberate, um, intentional way, why is it showing up this way? And and so that's that's really our measure. I mean, we go back, I mean, you know, in our language, we're responsible for all of it, um, but we actually create all of it. So, you know, any deal, you know, it's like even when Joe first came in, you know, that was a intentional created, Maury and I sat down and said, we're missing this thing. Who is that thing? We don't know who that thing is, but we're missing this thing. We got aligned on it. And Maury came to me and said, you wouldn't believe it. I know who that person is. And look at that. That person's looking for a new, a new space, a new journey and wants to be entrepreneurial. So everything is created. And I think that's really the measure. You look at it, you say to yourself, Ooh, did I create this because it's going to be useful and impactful in my life? Or did I create this because I needed to learn a lesson? Which is also the other side of it. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. Great. VJ, so authenticity in terms of your business relationship and deals and company? Yeah, authenticity plays a big part of it. I mean, we have a very clear, um, you know, very transparency, apparent office. I mean, doors are always open unless you're on a live conference call, but for the most part. But I think the other part of that is also empathy, right? I mean, you have to know where the other person is coming from um, so you realize what they're looking for, whether it's a deal or a negotiation or even they're having a bad day and they just chose to, you know, you happen to be the guy that said hi the wrong way and they just lashed out on you. And one of the things that we like, like I have to say in the office is, you know, fail as often as you want, but fail early, fail quick. And learn from mistakes. If you create this, do the same mistake once or twice, it's fine. If you keep doing it over and over and over again, we might have some other issues to deal with. But we also have to understand, like I said, very authentic when we talk to folks. Um, but we kind of understand where they're coming from and see what the limitations are, and you know, build on those. Awesome. And Judy. So for me, uh, morals, ethics, uh, and integrity play a huge role. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to work with some of our vendors on a closer relationship base and we just were not aligned and you know in, in having conversations with them i recognized that we are clearly not aligned and it wasn't a good decision for me to work closer with them so i chose not to and and one of the situations you know a few years later they just uh, you know you see their name in the newspaper for not great things and you know my professional reputation is on the line and my customers I know they appreciate the level of professionalism that we, we offer them, not just for me, but from my management staff and then my, my team itself. So that's great. So, so this has been such a huge treat for me. You know, I mean, I, I, frankly, I love doing every one of these podcasts and interviewing, spe- you know, specific entrepreneurs and deal makers uh, on prior podcasts. I love doing the solo cast. Um, but it, first of all, to have, you know, five other amazing entrepreneurs giving their input and then to have them be people that I love and that I care about and that have supported me in my life in so many ways. Uh, you know, we've been together quarterly uh, for about four years now uh, and uh, there'll be a lot more years to come. So it's a real, real, real treat, especially to do this episode with them. And thank you also to all the Fueling Deals listeners for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. 
Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at FuelingDeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.